Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Rats on the Rise Again by Christy Armstrong. It seems that Belmont could use a modern-day Pied Piper since reports of recent rat sightings have increased. Winbrook residents in the neighborhood near Claflin and Farnham Streets have received letters from the Belmont Health Department stating there is evidence that rats may be on the property or in the neighborhood at this time. The letter also states residents should should contract with a professional pest control service if they see signs of rat activity. Peter Farley, son of Wind Street resident Irene Farley, said via email that the health department letter could result in area residents setting out poison, which is harmful or deadly to other wildlife and pests. People are not aware of the impact of the products they use, he said. A dead squirrel with no markings of an attack was found on their Wind Street property soon after the Farnham Street letter went out, and his mother recognized that squirrel as one that had frequented her backyard on an ongoing basis. It was the timing that made me wonder, said Peter. At the very least, I thought the town was a a bit negligent in not providing some guidance to people. Telling people to hire a professional is not the height of responsibility. Most people will get some traps and some poison and call it a day. Pleasant Street resident Shirley Wang was informed last week her Claflin Street neighbor had just found a dying rat on their driveway next to Wang's backyard. Wang did not know of anyone in the vicinity who had put down poison, she said via email, but the rat had no markings of an attack and was lying on its side, still breathing, when it was discovered. It is disturbing to think about a poisoned rat running around, she said. Other neighborhood uh, dog and cat owners commented on how frightening uh, rat poisoning is for residents who have pets. In terms of broadcasting poison uh, into the environment, that's something that we really don't want to see, said Wesley Chin, director of the Belmont Health Department. We offer free inspections to residents to take a look around their property and also to take a peek from their yard into abutting properties to see if there are any concerns. We'll walk around with you, we'll look for burrows, we'll point out risk factors, Chin said. Chin said rats don't travel very far from their burrow. With a rat sighting, we draw a circle from that location and any property that's within that 300 to 500 foot radius gets the health department mailing. One question is whether the new construction at Belmont High School has stimulated the rat resurgence. It's possible that it could be related to the high school construction. We obviously have no way of tracking where the rats come from, but we do know that there have been rodent activity behind some of the Leonard Street businesses, said Chen. In the Winbrook area, I would say they were coming from the high school. I wouldn't say they were coming from the high school just yet. 
I would guess they are coming more from the commercial area. The health department has been monitoring the restaurants in Belmont Center to ensure that regulations are being followed. Uh, for the end of July and beginning of August, we were back there multiple times a week monitoring how they were storing their trash, said Shin. It's been good over the past month. Residents might wonder why the resurgence of rats happens in Belmont. Rats are really smart, and they know we have good schools here, Chin joked. He went on to explain, if you think about where we are geographically, we're only five or six miles away from downtown Boston, right next door to Cambridge. These are very densely populated areas. There's a lot of construction and development going on. Arlington, Watertown, and Waltham have struggled with rats, as well as Newton, Chin said. This is a problem in pretty much every city or town in the suburbs, said Jay Marcotte, director of public works, and Belmont is probably in the uh, probably in the most construction we've had in the past five years I've been here. One major concern is the presence of rats in the town's public parks. Public works manages and maintains the parks, and we've had a We've had a contract for two years now to bait and trap uh, rats in all the parks, said Marcotte. The parks also get checked every month for activity, and if there are signs of activity, then they add more traps. We try to do a non-lethal, non-all-natural irritant that makes the rats want to flee, Marcotte explained. The actual traps you might see are enclosed, so there's no way a kid could get their hands in there. And now over to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. More crossing guards needed in Belmont. The applicant pool has been scarce, and as a result, Belmont police officers are filling in for 16 posts per day. By Joanna Zuvelis. The town of Belmont is advertising one part-time and two on-call crossing guard positions at a rate of $16.50 per hour. The schedule is throughout the school year, September through June school day mornings and afternoons, approximately 13 hours a week. So far, the applicant pool has been scarce, and as a result, Belmont police officers are filling in for 16 posts per weekday. Assistant Belmont Police Chief James McIsaac said it has been a challenge finding people to apply, and they have had a lot of long-term absences with current crossing guard staff. Sergeant Mark Puglesi believes the difficulty in filling vacancies has to do with a changing workforce. This was a great job years ago for a stay-at-home parent, and there are less of those as many pursue full-time employment, said Puglesi. During the 2018-19 school year, the Belmont Police filled crossing posts with police officers more than 200 times, according to McIsaac. There are times when an officer is not able to arrive on time for the crossing post because they are responding to an incident or the number of vacant posts is greater than the number of officers working. He advises parents with children who walk to school on their own to remind them to be extra careful when crossing. He also advises motorists to be patient, drive alert, and obey crossing guards no matter how much of a hurry they are in. He said they are working with safe routes to school to determine what crossing guard posts are really necessary and what ones, if any, can be eliminated. 
Other towns have experienced similar problems with crossing guard vacancies, and some have reduced the number of posts, said Puglesi. McIsaac is concerned the department's patrol force is tied up when demand for enforcement is highest for them in the morning and afternoon. According to Puglesi, many of the open crossing posts have to be filled by a police officer on a shift. This can leave the shift with only one or two officers to answer other calls for service at times. McIsaac said no experience as a crossing guard is necessary and training will be provided. Training is mainly on the job, whereby a member of the police department's traffic division will accompany the trainee, explain and demonstrate safety procedures for crossing pedestrians safely and managing traffic flow, said Buglesi. A minimum of a high school diploma or equivalent is required, as well as experience working with children, and the ability to communicate effectively with students, parents, teachers, and motorists. McIsaac said crossing guards are an important part of the school community. They are ambassadors for the town in some ways, he said. Puglesi is concerned about the safety of students, especially with the increase in cut-through traffic. We fear that, with increased traffic volume, distracted drivers, and children sharing the roadways, it is possible that a tragedy could occur, he said. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Newest police officers sworn in by Joanna Catesavellis. After completing 21 weeks of intensive academy training at Northeastern University, Belmont's newest police officers, Constantinos James C.J. Bitsikas, and Daniel Trainer were sworn in by town clerk Ellen O'Brien Cushman on September 23rd. Both Bitsikas and Trainer have lived both have lived in Belmont all their lives. Bitsikas graduated Belmont High School in 2010 and received his criminal justice degree at Mass Bay Community College. He worked as a counselor at the MCI Shirley Minimum Security State Prison, working with people with substance abuse issues. He then went on to become a correction officer at the Sousa Baranowski Correctional Center. I've always been passionate about the career. I love helping people, said Bitsikas. I'm excited to have the opportunity to give back to the community I grew up in. He describes the Belmont community as a family where everybody knows each other. He said he hopes to make a positive impact and be the best he can be. I'm very grateful for the opportunity, said Bitsikas. Trainer graduated BHS in 2004 and received his bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Northeastern University in 2009. Since then, he worked in the health and fitness industry and real estate. Trainer's grandfather was a lieutenant in the Cambridge Police Department, which he said is what influenced him to pursue a career in public safety. He described the 21-week training program as eye-opening and life-changing. Trainer hopes to maintain safety and positivity in Belmont. I have nothing but positive memories, and I just want to be able to give back now that I am able to put on the uniform every day, he said. Trainer said getting sworn in was the proudest moment of his life. I truly believe it's the greatest profession in the world, said Chief Richard McLaughlin. There's no job like it. You're given an opportunity to help people at their worst and darkest times, said McLaughlin. It's all about teamwork, support, and family. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Belmont High School uh, golf team off to a good start by Joanna K. Zavallis. 
Coach Jeffrey Shea is pleased with the Belmont High School golf team's performance this year with five straight wins. Shea, who is an award-winning social studies teacher at Belmont High School, is beginning his 15th year as the BHS golf coach. BHS has won four Middlesex League titles over the last six years. He has come close to becoming a uh, they, it has become close to becoming uh, state champions, finishing in third, fifth, and eighth in recent years. We keep trying to get ourselves into position in the state finals in October to hopefully win a Division II state title, said Shea. This year's team is made up of three seniors, three juniors, three sophomores, and five freshmen, including one female player, sophomore Phoebe Shaman. Shea said the team has been has had a female player for the past six years. Prior to Shamian, uh, Victoria Zakatis, the class of 2018, was the first female uh, to ever play on the BHS golf team. She is currently a co-captain of her team at Marymount in Virginia. Shamian said she loves being part of the team. She said the interaction with her fellow teams have been, have been with her in different uh, uh, with her is different than how they interact with each other. But at the end of the day, we are all friends, she said. Shamian hopes to win all her matches this season. She said Shay is very supportive coach. The uh, season kicked off with an individual match against Burlington. Uh, that was 44.5 to 27.5 with, Day, uh, with Dave D'Agostino winning his match 7 to 2 and Patrick Kilcone winning 6.5 to 2.5. BHS went on to beat Watertown 53.5 to 18.5. Last week, uh, BHS beat Stoneham, Wakefield, and Lexington. It's always difficult to win on the road, so to earn a win at Lexington Country Club was huge. We have gotten contributions from everyone, including our two senior captains, Frank Castagnio, playing at number seven in the lineup, and Joe DeStefanano playing at number four, said Shea. A golfer since he was the age of four, DeStefanano said the right mentality is the most important skill to have in the game. Being optimistic and thinking about one shot at a time, not getting too ahead of yourself, is really important, he said. And now over to Claire. Thanks, Bob. Animals can have roles as therapeutic aids by Paul R. Pace. The role of animals as therapeutic aids in private practice explains that animals provide protection, emotional support, and aid in the achievement of therapeutic goals. NASW Senior Practice Associate Yale Ellie Silverman, who authored the practice, Perspective, says fostering the human-animal connection may help patients identify sustainable long-term support to manage symptoms and maintain functioning after therapeutic relationship with a clinical social worker has ended. According to the document, there are four categories of animals used in helping capacity. Service animal, an emotional support animal, ESA, a comfort dog, and animal-assisted therapy. The practice perspective defines each category and identifies the roles of clinical social workers. 
For example, service animals assist only one person with a disability and are always functioning in the role of a service animal, it explains. The function of a service dog is not to provide general comfort with its presence. An ESA, Emotional Support Dog, is uh, defined as an animal that provides emotional benefits to a person diagnosed with a mental health disorder, the practice perspective says. For an animal to be legally recognized as an ESA, the owner must have a chronic mental illness that impairs or limits functioning in one or more life domains and have documentation from a licensed mental health professional knowledgeable of the person's illness and treatment, it says. Meanwhile, comfort dogs are frequently used in disaster response by organizations like the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the resource explains, adding that comfort dogs offer a calming presence and provide a needed distraction during a disaster or crisis. Animal-assisted therapy is defined as a therapeutic intervention that incorporates an animal into a treatment plan. Although various animals are used in animal-assisted therapy, the most common are dogs and horses. Unlike service animals who only work with one individual, therapy animals work with many individuals. Now over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Help spread the word about harms of wireless technology. An editorial by Kevin Modis. Yes, people are getting brain tumors and other serious illnesses from the microwaves that wireless technology uses to transmit data. We collaborate with more than 200 medical doctors and scientists from 35 countries who are experts in wireless radiation health effects and have signed a formal appeal asking for a moratorium on the rollout of new 5G wireless technology. Any wireless device, your cell phone, Wi-Fi router, and of course, cell tower antennas, is a microwave transmitter, emitting from 900,000 to 3 billion microwaves per second with current technology. These waves pass through our bodies and cells. When you hold a cell phone against your head, you are literally microwave radiating your head. When you use Wi-Fi, you are slowly microwave radiating yourself continuously. The California Brain Tumor Association works with individuals who have developed neurological health effects or microwave sickness from wireless microwave exposure. These effects include headaches, dizziness, sleep issues, nausea, tingling, and sometimes stabbing pain. Our neurological system is our electrical system. Our cells are electromagnetic and we are electromagnetic beings. It should be no surprise that the billions of electromagnetic waves per second from wireless may disturb, disrupt, and damage our cells and their normal functioning, communication, repair, and reproduction. Studies have also shown immune system dysfunction because our immune system works closely with our neurological system, and studies showing effects on sperm and reproduction are very clear. Research over the last several decades, along with the recent $30 million National Toxicology Program cell phone study, shows that wireless radiation can cause cancer and DNA damage. So why haven't you heard more about this? The wireless industry knows the hazards of its products, and there are $1.9 billion worth of cell phone brain tumor lawsuits moving glacially through the courts. But the industry is using its tremendous financial resources to minimize and hide the problem. 
In addition, the FCC oversees the allowable wireless radiation exposure limits, and its current chairman is a former Verizon attorney. The FCC's most recent past chairman was president and CEO of CTIA, the Wireless Lobby and Trade Group. The FCC has no health department and no one qualified to set, maintain, or modify the radio frequency exposure limit, yet this is exactly what they are responsible for. The FCC has demonstrated no interest in looking at wireless radiation health effects or in warning or protecting its citizens. The FDA is supposed to offer expert advisement to the FCC, but what people don't realize is that the FDA does not do pre-market safety tests on wireless products, as they do with medications and medical devices, even though they emit microwave radiation. The FDA seems to be influenced by the congressmen who direct and oversee them and who receive millions of dollars in campaign contributions from the wireless industry. The telecom industry spent more than $92 million lobbying Congress in 2018. The FDA does not survey wireless devices post-market to see if people who are heavy users are getting more cancer or neurological effects, and they do not look to see if people living near cell towers have higher rates of cancer or neurological effects from continuous exposure. Studies from around the world have shown increasing cancer and neurological effects as you get closer to cell towers. Sadly, the World Health Organization, the premier public health organization in the world, has also been compromised by industry contributions and receives more than two-thirds of its funding from outside groups, with the Gates Foundation being the second largest contributor behind the United States. The International Telecommunications Association, who contributed $800,000 to the WHO in 2015, as shown in a report at who.int slash about finances accountability slash reports. The International Agency for Research on Cancer, a specialized cancer agency of the WHO, composed of medical doctors and scientists, expert in cancer research, classified wireless radiation in all its forms as a class 2b carcinogen in 2011. The agency declared that there is a positive association between cell phone use and brain tumors, yet this country did nothing to warn its heavy cell phone users, who are mostly young people. Now the WHO denies adverse health effects from wireless radiation, ignoring the recommendations of its own IARC and instead citing the denials of ICNIRP, an industry-connected NGO. The American Cancer Society, which minimizes wireless radiation health effects, has AT&T as a corporate partner and the CEO of Motorola as one of its 10 global advisors. But we now have enough scientific evidence to classify wireless radiation as a class one human carcinogen, like a cigarette smoke and asbestos. We should be warning and minimizing exposure, not maximizing exposure like we are now with the rollout of 5G technology. With 5G, the, expo the exposures will be up close and continuous, with 32 times more radiation being absorbed by the skin and eyes than with 4G. Also, 5G frequencies do not travel well and require a, tr a cell tower antenna every 200 to 500 feet. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. The Blue Butterfly opened on September the 19th by Joanna K. Zavallis. Uh, Belmont resident Erin Brown has spent the last few months preparing to open her very first storefront, a 
across from Cushing Square's new development known as the Bradford. Brown's new gift shop, the Blue Butterfly, opened its doors to the public on September the 19th. The Blue Butterfly, uh, Blue Butterfly will offer travel goods such as lotions, luggage tags, locks, metal straws and chopsticks, and books, home decor including current and secondhand artwork, greeting cards and coasters from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, kitchen towels, candles, vintage jewelry, handbags, glassware, china, and vases. It is essentially bringing together all the things that I love into a store, said Brown. Another unique item the Blue Butterfly carries is smart art frames by Mural, which displays art or photos digitally. We're very excited about this. We're one of the only stores east of New York to be selling these at this point, said Brown. Brown said preparing to open the store has been a learning experience for her. There will also be an online store. She has had a positive experience dealing with fellow business owners in the area and the town of Belmont. The store is my passion, said Brown. She has had a career in communications for the past 25 years, but has always loved travel, art, books, and vintage. Her mother owned a vintage business for 20 years. I re really believe everyone should have art around them. It's, su it's sustainable and something that you can enjoy for a really long time, said Brown. The store will be open Wednesdays through Sundays. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. A look inside the historic Wellington Station by Joanna K. Zuvalis. The Belmont Historical Society hosted an open house for the Wellington Station located at 2 Common Street, Belmont. The small, gazebo-like structure was originally used as a schoolhouse from 1840 to 1851 by Samuel O. Meade. It then became a train station for the Fitchburg Railroad until 1879. After that, it was moved to the Underwood Estate where it was used as a summer house and an artist studio. In 1974, Florence Wellington left the structure to the Belmont Historical Society, and in 1980, it was moved to its current location. Visitors to the open house were able to learn all about its interesting history and even see the actual paintings that were created inside the structure. David Flewelling, Wellington Station Master and member of the Belmont Historical Society, gave tours of the inside of the building. Belmont Historical Society president and many of the members were on hand to talk to visitors to the exhibits displayed outside in the station under tents. Now, here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Seeking vendors for the 2019 annual craft fair. The annual craft fair, sponsored by the Friends of the Belmont Council on Aging, will be held from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. November 23rd at the Beach Street Center. 266 Beach Street, Belmont. We are looking for new and different crafts. Artists, photographers, quilters, potters, makers of holiday ornaments, dolls, toys, and more are invited to display and sell their work at the craft fair. If you are a new vendor and are in interested in displaying and selling your crafts at the crafts fair, please pick up an application form and more information at the Beach Street Center front desk or email graystreet 
that's G-R-A-Y-S-T-R-E-E-T, at AOL.com. Please note that vendors who participated last year will receive application forms by mail. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings around Belmont.